You are listening to the Rama Blueprint Podcast. I feel numb. I feel like it's one after the other after the other. So there's no time to really grieve. And I think that's what we need to talk more about grief and how we deal with things with these type of situations. Several of the kids have asked me about it. Several of the kids have not heard anything of it. Um, but it's really, really hard to have a conversation, sorry, where you can't promise them that you can keep them safe. Yeah. I can't offer that to them. So we have some instances happening at our school right now where um, there are some major, major red flags. And the teachers are saying, look, please, something is gonna happen and no one is listening to us and we don't know what to do. What are the red flags? Student that we know has access to guns um, and it's, it's just not, not a good situation. Nothing is, no one is listening to us. More recently, there's been a rise in teenage suicide, but more importantly, it's a result of the lack of sociability. What social media has done is it's taken the place of connection, of looking someone in the eye. What this social media frenzy, what it's done is created a huge, huge void in the emotional well-being of young people, especially kids between the ages of 13 and 21 that are still still looking for themselves, still trying to navigate through the pitfalls of this world. We need willing people who will stand up, be honest with themselves, change their and their children's behavior, then demand changes to school curriculums and other institutions. Our society can be transformed to become a collective, cooperative, and connected society. We need people who will stand up and advocate for a radical shift in the cultural norms so long-term change can take place and we lessen the chance of a nice boy evolving into a mass shooter. Welcome to the Rama Blueprints Podcast. I'm Darren DeLeon, co-producer. Today we present a conversation about healing and wellness in the light of recent mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas and Buffalo, New York. On May 24th in Uvalde, Texas, a small rural town of little more than 15,000 people, where 80% of the residents are Latino. 19 elementary-aged children and two adults were ruthlessly murdered at Robb Elementary School. Earlier in the month on May 14th, at Topps Friendly Supermarket in the east side neighborhood of Buffalo, New York, 10 black people, including the elderly, were killed by a white 18-year-old male motivated by hate in one of the country's most segregated neighborhoods. 85% of Buffalo's African-American population live in the east side of Buffalo where the shooting occurred. These acts of senseless violence have left a hole in our hearts. We collectively feel the loss. We mourn along with the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, grandparents, teachers, colleagues, first responders, 
and community members who are experiencing the needless loss of innocent lives. The shooting at Robb Elementary School was the deadliest school shooting since the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary Massacre in Newtown, Connecticut, when a gunman killed 26 people, some as young as six years old. These fatalities exceed those in the 2018 attack at Majorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which left 17 dead. The sad reality is that there are far too many mass shootings occurring in the United States to list here, and no clear visible sign of effective legislative actions at a national level to reduce this type of gun violence. As a nation, we find ourselves searching for answers while feeling helpless and asking ourselves how can we navigate those feelings of grief or find the words of comfort, especially for those who are mourning from the loss of a loved one due to gun violence. What about the teachers, social workers, staff, and community workers? How are their needs being met and communicated in the wake of these tragic events? How can they best respond to students' needs while being informed and well-equipped with strategies to help manage the emotions and fears of a once-safe space now tainted by a deadly invasion. These once-labeled safe spaces have forever been marred by evil intentions and transformed into nightmarish war zones. How can those assigned to assist and alleviate sorrow also be supported while still fulfilling their responsibilities to their children, family, and community. This is the often overlooked conversation that must be had. And here at the Rama Blueprints podcast, we feel obligated to hold that space for discussion, healing, and support. We send our deepest condolences to the family, friends, and loved ones affected by these tragic events and welcome the listener to this circular, this mesa, this table of shared wisdom and healing. And to start, I hand it over to co-producer and host, Socorro Gamboa. Thank you and welcome everyone. You know, it's painful to have this conversation. However, we have the sacred responsibility to bring into light these tragic events with respect and dignity. We will be discussing how we are navigating wellness through these tragedies, through the mass shootings and killings of innocent souls. And today at this mesa, at this round table in this circulo, we sit as humanity's ancestors once did. We remember this space. When we listen, we speak more thoughtfully and we lean into a shared purpose. Joining us, Today and sharing their wisdom and insight are Anthony Seja, Senior Manager for the Systems of Support for the San Diego County of Office of Education and father of two children. Michelle Alvarez Campos is the Clinical Supervisor for La Cultura Cura Youth Services Programs at Instituto Familiar de la Raza and has over 25 years of experience in the field and continues to provide resources, services to youth and families and coach new uh, clinicians in applying culturally congruent best practices and also a mother of two. Jennifer Quevedo, wellness practitioner, 
and mom of two middle school aged children. Cassandra Cole, program director of the early intervention program at Instituto Familiar de la Raza, who has over 30 years in the field. Cassandra is passionate about helping adults and understands the social, emotional, developmental, behavioral, cultural needs of young children and loves working in the community setting where you will find children and also a mother of two children. Jesus Adolfo Piña is an EL specialist with over 23 years in the educational field and also a father of three children. Welcome all, nice to see you. Nice to see your faces and it's good that you're here joining us today. So let's get started. We know we have a few questions that we wanna discuss with you all. Let's start with the first question. Um, it's a check-in basically is what it is. And so, um, you know, the question we have is how are you navigating your present life through all these acts of violence that, are, that we're witnessing right now through these mass shootings and killings? How are you dealing with that? And how are you practicing self-care? Cassandra. Thank you, Socorro, and thanks to everyone else who's here today. Um, I just wanted to comment that it was very powerful hearing those quotes at the beginning of this podcast and all those voices, because I think I could, something everybody said echoed with how I'm doing and feeling currently. Um, my, my heart feels heavy. I feel a sense of fatigue that's deep in my bones. And yet there's part of me also that has been working directly in the communities and seeing how despite how unbelievably painful all these losses have been, folks are showing up. And the showing up part, it just does something to me. It just allows me to keep going. And I feel like I'm only here tonight because of all the deep connections that we have as a community and that the healing happens through these relationships. So my staff are out in schools and I see them doing the heavy lifting. I see the educators doing the heavy lifting and that's what inspires me to still actually be here. And it's hard, it's mm -hmm. been hard. Tell us a little bit about how you're practicing self-care, Cassandra. That was good that I left that out, huh? <laughs> I always say I hate the term self-care. Okay. Um, and even on our team, we talk about we care, collective care. Collective and so care. I do think that collective care works more for myself. Um, so it is really reaching out and being part of community that is trying to create spaces to talk about what we're experiencing. And for me, that really is the most helpful. It's being able to metabolize a little bit you know, all the complexities with these situations. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, on a good day, I can get out for a walk or oh, veg out on something like a bad Netflix series, but I don't know that that's the best self-care. Right. Thank you for that. Anthony. Well, thank you. And thank you, Cassandra, for your sharing. You know, it, it's how do I navigate this whole thing? For me, it's been... Um, Unfortunately, not shocking mm. that I'm seeing these things. I it, this is something that I've seen coming <laughs> for some time. It's like seeing that kind of a wave, you know, coming. And you know, I didn't want it to happen, but I knew with the way our society is so in love with guns and violence, and 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 that we have really not prioritized the human being, the humanity, right? And and 
it's almost been like a formula for disaster, right? And now we're seeing the disaster and people are like, oh, you know, they know I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. So it's something that's how part of how I navigate things. But mm. it's almost like some people are like, oh, you know, you, you got to pray that it, you know, doesn't happen again. Mm. But, you know, I, I try to tell people, you know, I'm a strong believer, but I know I can't pray this away. Mm. This is, this is like a, a wave that you, like a, like a tsunami in some ways that you can't stop. And um, even though, you know, I practice my faith and, and I, I um, it's really part of my own kind of self-care, my way of connecting to um, the earth and humanity. Um, you know, and I, I feel the pain of, of those people. I can't, I mean, I really can't even imagine what it was mm -hmm. like for a parent who was just, you know, their child in there. And I, it, it's just tr so tragic. I like my mind won't even allow me to go there completely. Mm. Um, but, you know, I still pray for mm -hmm. them. I still pray for those families. I pray for the community. Mm. Um, but I know that this, you know, it obviously takes more than just kind of prayers and blessings, right? It takes, it takes community coming together. And I'm, I'm um, part of, I guess, a hope that I have is that uh, so many educators that I'm in contact with, they, they really do recognize the need um, for this, like trying to answer the social emotional needs of our mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. and our staff um, as a high, as a much higher priority now than they used to. Right. So um, that kind of gives me some hope and helps me kind of navigate some of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. That hope is extremely critical, right? That we provide that hope. So let's move on. Thank you for that, Anthony. Michelle. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, good evening. You know, I appreciate this question, but more of anything, I really appreciate the space because as, you know, the conversation or the quote, you know, Darren talked about, you know, we are looking at, you know, how do we do healing and wellness? And this space alone, just having this conversation and discussion will be part of that healing and wellness. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate being invited to this space and to really participate in this because it's a way to process something that's going on. And, you know, currently the way I'm navigating is with many mixed feelings mm. um, as a parent, um, mixed feelings around like definitely there's a tragedy and then how do I build on celebrating other milestones that my own children are going through at this time like you know and also the mixed feeling is like well I can't feel bad about wanting to celebrate something happy but how do you do that when there's a tragedy going on absolutely is, viewing, is being very real with that and the other part is as a provider, I constantly have to remind myself, well, first of all, before I do that, what has happened is definitely triggering to mm -hmm. right that vicarious trauma. I've done a lot of community work with a lot of youth and violence. Mm -hmm. um, I've responded and it does trigger certain things. And part of that, I have to be mindful to remind myself not to be desensitized. As a provider, I have to constantly remind myself that it impacts me maybe a different way in how I hold it versus how do I respond to others, you know, that I work with, whether it's responding to a youth and a family mm -hmm. on how, you know, they're coping with it 
or how am I responding to the staff I supervise at the current time and, and opening the space to give them the opportunity or opening the door to give them the opportunity if they wanna have um, conversation. So I do come to you today with different mixed feelings around that. And Anthony spoke about you know hopefulness. That's something that I always utilize um, constantly in all of my work. Because if we don't have, keep hopefulness, then how do we keep motivated and trying to make changes and improvement? Um, so that's something that definitely, um, you know, I'm carrying and I'm coming into the space to right now. And I think the other question was like, how do I self-care? So I don't watch the news. That's the first <laughs> one. I yeah. try to stay off the social media. Um, I don't want to hear about what, you know, I have to hear some of it that I don't want to be watching, you know, CNN or whoever has the thing on 24 hours a day. So I really do turn off the TV and specifically the news and that's part of my self-care. And then for me, self-care is really connecting with others. So whether that means I connect more with my family members, whether I connect with my spiritual community in a different way, if I offer prayers through um, my dancer, that to me is what really keeps me, con that connection is what provides that healing for me. Thank you for that, Michelle. You know, as you mentioned, um, you know, being sad and at the same time celebrating, I, I can I can totally relate, you know, having had that many years and working in community violence with community violence work and feeling desensitized. But I just attended my uh, Sobrinos uh, graduate uh, academic awards. And I kept waiting for the principal to do a moment of silence. And then I was itching on my seat going, why isn't he doing it? Like, you know, we have to acknowledge this. But all around me were all these 10th, 11th, and 12th graders celebrating, you know, their achievements and the families. And I said, okay, Socorro, you know, you know, not, it, it, you got to still honor what is really happening every day in life. So thank you for bringing that up because even as a, a person that's done that kind of work for so many years, it still brings up those triggers for me. But I, I, I want, I want to thank you for acknowledging that. So, um, Jesus, you want to share with us what your feelings and thoughts uh, are? Yes. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for the invitation. Um, it, it, um, I guess how I'm feeling right now. You know, I'm feeling. I, I watch news, but as much as uh, uh, other people do. Uh, mm -hmm. That day the tragedy happened, you know, I didn't learn about it till the afternoon because I was so busy at school. I work at a middle school, you know, and, and I'm constantly moving around, you know, trying to be there for the kids. And we're in the middle of testing. When I heard about it, it didn't dawn on me right away. You know, I just kind of saw the, you know, the quick news. I looked at it on the Internet and then I, I was thinking about it. And then it started just dawning on me because, you know, I started talking to other teachers and it just it just hit me. And then it was like, wow. Mm. This is something like, like Anthony said, it was, it was something that's been coming with the social media, with, you know, the trying to get the kids um, mm -hmm. not to be desensitized. Um, so letting them know that, hey, this is true. This is something that's going on out there. Uh, right before that, the, a couple of days before that, one of the students had showed me a, a video of the shooting in New York. Mm. <clears throat> and I didn't want to see it. And I said, let me see it. I want to see the reaction. You know, and the kids were like, oh, look, Mr. Pian, this is, look at what happened here. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, how do you feel about that? Oh, that's not cool. That's not good. You know, why would they do that? You know, and, um, and I just felt, wow, you know, I, the kids are, are feeling this. The kids are living this or 
they're watching it they're it's on their phones but at the same time you know they kind of just pass it on mm -hmm. so for me that that healing part for me being there at school uh being there for the kids listening to them listening to the teachers that's part of my healing process you know mm -hmm. talking about it and making sure that the kids it doesn't something come normal to them uh for example today i was standing outside the door and one of the students was waiting for somebody else. Uh, I usually wait there till they get all picked up. And I said, um, mm -hmm. hey, is somebody coming for you? He said, yeah, somebody's coming for me. I'll wait for me. I'll wait for you. And he said, no, go ahead. He goes, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I go, no, I don't want something happening to you. Mm -hmm. Just told him like that. And he said, look, Ms. Maria, nothing happens ever here. I go, nothing happens ever here. He goes, yeah, nothing's ever going to happen here. And I said, no, you know, in today's day, you have to be aware of what's going on. So, That's right. You know, just mm -hmm. for me, healing is part of being there for the students. Uh, besides my my spiritual, my prayer, you know, just being there. That's that's how I'm healing. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, and thank you for doing the work you're doing right in, inside the classrooms. I mean, I'm, um, a lot of props to you for for hanging in there and and really being there for the for the children. Jen, you're welcome. Thank you, Socorro. Um, thank you, everybody. It was very nice to hear everyone's thoughts and having this space. Um, I also didn't know of the shooting. I just can't watch the news. It's too overwhelming, not only because I'm a mother, but the work I've done in the community. The first thing that I thought was like, how many more do we have to go through? It's just like, how many more? What are we going to do? It's got to the point that I don't even... It's not about if they're Latino, they're African-American. They're, it's just like, how many more? They're, they're, they're humans, children, and we're not holding. Then I started saying, like, who, who do we hold accountable? What do we do? So it's, it was frustrating. Then I started, I went into that rabbit hole about, like, if there was to happen at one of my kids' school, my oldest, she has special needs. And I'm like, whoa, how would I even get to mm, her? That's right. Just put me in a space, like, what do we need to do to have somebody do something about this? Self-care, I, I, like Michelle and everybody, I don't watch the TV because then I start going that, <laughs> that rabbit hole, I just can't. Mm -hmm. But part of the things is I'm trying to get myself more educated of how I could get my voice heard in the, my children's school district. A lot of things I see is like training. Why don't we provide more training to help not only as the staff, but our, our parents? How could we train each other to be more voices? That for me has been helping me to try to educate myself so I could be a stronger voice. Well, I, I want to thank all of you for sharing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very difficult process that we're going through right now. And as we are examining our feelings, you know, most of all of us come from working in community and working directly with the population. And often, when you think about, if you look at the photographs and you look at the videos and, you know, uh, the reaction of the community in Uvalde and the reaction of the community in Buffalo, and then look what's just happened over the last, um, you know, 72 hours. Um, there was a report of something at Berkeley High School. There was a report of something here at, too in Ventura County at Santa Paula High School, Oxnard High School, something at Hamilton High School in Los Angeles. You know, in, in doing community violence work, just as Michelle and I did for a while, um, and, and, not to, and not to forget Tulsa, which just, just happened, right? It's like we, we went through these seasons of, you know, violence response. You know, we were consistently doing this work. 
And so when, and so, you know, not to get, not to become so jaded is we try to figure out maybe back then we didn't know how to do collective care or self-care. We didn't practice it enough, but I think now to hear what each one of you is doing to take care of yourselves, because when you leave the job, I mean, some people are working from home, but when you leave the job, you go home to your families, you go home to your, your, your loved ones, your significant, your partner and your children in some, some of you that have younger children. Thank you for sharing and for being open about how you're feeling. And, and we'll move on to the second question. We are uh, discussing how we're navigating wellness uh, amongst ourselves, amongst our community, and including uh, with the folks that we work with. Um, I, I wanna also acknowledge, you know, um, Adolfo uh, Jesus, uh, that you are an English learning uh, specialist who works in the city of Long Beach. So I wanted to make sure I recognize that. Yes, um, I live in Long Beach, but I work mm. in the city of Compton. I work for a Compton oh, okay. school district. Cool. That's so that's great. where I'm an English specialist there. Okay. Thank you for that. And also to acknowledge that Instituto Familiar de la Raza is in San Francisco, in the heart of the Mission District. Uh, for those of you that are from the Bay Area, yep. Instituto has a long history there of doing a lot of cultural, spiritual work in community. You know, the following question deals more with um, the organizations you work with or the school. And so the question that I pose is, how does the practice of the organization or the school you work with or the work you're doing best help support the individuals and the families and community to be one, resilient, and to heal. So Jennifer, why don't we start with you? The work I do, um, I do a combination of work with schools and community. Mm -hmm. And um, what we do is we provide space, not only for the children at their school site, but also off campus where they could have a, a space to be children, receive help academically and do fun things, but also to receive a connection for their families and them to see what I feel hopefully is still a safe space. Mm -hmm. But I hesitate to say that because of everything that's been going on. So mm -hmm. I just want to say what I, as of today is a safe space. The collaboration within the school and the different community organizations that are brought forth, we extend them. Um, our focus is supposed to be academic, but we go beyond that. Serving the child as a whole with their community. Mm where they live, who they live with, but also who they claim to be their people. Mm, very good. Yeah. Can, can you give an example of maybe a partnership that is uh, that you're working in collaboration with? Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Um, we do collaborations like with larger community-based organizations like a YMCA or mm. Boys and Girls Club, but we also stay humble with our communities because who else will know the children better than the, the communities that they are in that serve them. Grassroots community organizations like Jamestown, Instituto. Those are just two ones that come in because I am from the city and those are the ones I grew up with also. Mm -hmm. Right, right, but, right. Um, you know, we like to have, we like to connect those organizations that are grassroots to the, uh, to the schools because like I said, who else knows better and to serve those children and those who are around them every day. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, Jesus? 
my work was around the middle schools, uh, mm -hmm. districts that I work around with. Uh, but we've teamed up with uh, Gear Up, which is a partnership with uh, UC Irvine and the Compton Unified School District. Um, it's through the Department of Education, about $10 million that was awarded mm. to those two institutions. So we've been working, getting the teachers involved, working with PBIS with um, LA County Office of Education, uh, training the teachers. The gear up is more on, on the side of the academics mm. and also bringing in parent workshops. So those parent workshops were coming in on Saturday school. The, the program has moved on to another school, but it left us with the experience that we've continued the, the Saturday school programs with the parents. And within those workshops, you know, we're dealing with literature. We're dealing with um, part of the PBIS um, to get the, the PBIS is maybe you're familiar with it, but it's a positive behavior intervention system. So helping teachers, helping students and helping parents deal with all the emotions that are going on um, as of right now also, but uh, the behavior issues that we had in the past. So that's gotten a lot better. And mm. because of that, that's helped us communicate with the parents. Um, middle school, you know, you got your issues going on with the, in terms of the vaping and, you know, behavior and things like that. But that's helped us deal with that. Instead of getting the kids out of the school, you know, we keep them there and offer workshops to them. That's gone really good with, with, um, with the students and the parents. So the parents are able to come in, talk to us, mm, you mm -hmm. know, call us up. Um, so that's one of the things that we do. The other partnership that we've had, that's with the Parks and Recreation uh, part of Los Angeles, LA County, is with the Safe Crossing. So mm. our school sits right across a, a big park called Mona Park. You know, a lot of things going on around there. So oh, yeah. Uh -huh. The people that, that are right there working with the kids, you know, we, because of an incident we had in the park, we managed mm -hmm. to touch bases and that's really flourished there at, at, at um, in that community. So that, that's helped us deal with, the, with a lot of the issues that we're having. You know, we tell the parents, we're here for you. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be out there. We don't want to kick the kids out. We want to bring them here, teach them. They're young kids. You know, we want to make sure that they're, they're, moving on in their adult life and making those uh, good quality decisions that are going to land them into um, uh, a better environment. All right. Yeah. Great. Thank you for that. Um, Anthony, you want to share with us how the organization that you work with and, and maybe expand on the practices that you're working with and yeah. share that with us. Sure. Thank you. And um, so at the San Diego County Office of Education, you know, there's there's my colleagues, myself, and we're we're really um, working to um, increase the number of school social workers in the mm. schools, and um, that and that's been honestly pretty successful. Um, uh, I do a lot of the restorative practices mm. trainings and coaching and support, and um, I've had many many educators, you know saying, oh, thank you so much for, you know, the social worker really is the one that I lean on. Because um, a lot of the, a lot of the teachers didn't, um, they weren't trained in a paradigm where they um, understood how to provide the social emotional supports. Mm -hmm. they, they understood, I do curriculum, I'm doing, you know, this is what I do. Right. But um, really, the expectation now is that they need to grow in their skill set of, of really promoting the social emotional wellness um, in their classrooms. 
And so it's, I, I know it's difficult for some educators, but many, many have responded quite well where they have, um, they've attended our trainings, they've mm. received coaching and, and many of them report that their, their relationships with their students have transformed. They, they actually know their students and their students know them and, um, and they can tell when things are going on at home. Um, they can, they, you know, they know the nuances of their personalities and, mm -hmm. and, um, and they're able to reach out to them. And one, one of the really basic things that we um, try to teach is, is really, you know, move from the having chairs in the rows like we grew mm -hmm. up with and put them in a circle. And we know um, most of us who've done this work for a long time, we know that, you know, the circle is kind of like creates a sacred space where mm -hmm. human beings can see each other and they can, they can really have their uh, voices and their humanity honored and valued. And, and um, our young people need to learn that. And our teachers, our, our, our adult staff need to learn that, that this is how we grow in community and that is, it's the indigenous communities from throughout the world yeah. have, have yeah. taught us that, that this is a sacred space and that relationship is the foundation of community. Um, and so it's, it's really been exciting for me to see how many people have bought into that. But I, I do want to say that it's, um, it's not easy because many, many educators feel very oppressed by mm -hmm so many, um, like, it feels like so much weight on their shoulders of, right. of all these different state standards and testing and all these things that they're expected to do. So one of the things that we've been teaching quite a bit is if, if they'll just begin to teach that the community has the, um, the answer, in a sense, in the circle, mm -hmm. in the circle is the answer. And so your students, if you teach them the basics of just how to listen, right? How to listen well, how to not judge, right? But just listen and honor people. They will become healers. They have the capacity. Honestly, they do. Students have the capacity to, um, to do this work. It can't be dependent on one social worker or one teacher right. or, you know, right. It has to be the, the, that circle of community. And so I, I've you know, really been excited to see how young people have responded to that and how powerful young people are. And, mm -hmm. But only when you give them the opportunity and you provide them the supports that they need to be successful doing that. And then I begin to realize, wow, the young people are the healers, right? They're the ones that can That's change right all of this around. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited about that part of it. Thank you. Jesus, I want to go back to you. You just heard some, a lot of good information and insightful information of the work that Anthony's group is doing. How, how do you respond as a teacher to, to what you just heard? I saw you shaking your head and agreeing. Well, you hit it right on the point because it, that is one of the things that, that's coming down on teachers. There's so much responsibility like you were saying, standards, testing, the lesson planning. And it's not till you take time and you say, you know what, this is not important right now. Mm -hmm. You are the student, you're important. 
you as a classroom community, you're important. You you here are important. And once you start taking that responsibility and saying, I'm, I'm the teacher here. I'm mm. the person that needs to make that decision. And you start honoring those students and listening to them. Then the difference, you start, you start seeing that difference. But a lot of times it's really difficult for some of our teachers to take that extra step because they do feel the responsibility. How am I going to get through this curriculum? How am I going to get to the end? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, especially during this time, the important the importance is that student, it's that person, it's that teacher. I feel like we jumped into it too quick, mm. uh, particularly within our our surrounding area that we work in. You know, we jumped into it. We didn't give time to for that healing mm. to begin mm. or that healing to develop. And and now we're seeing part of that, um, the effects of that, you know, where it's just, well, I'm just going to take another test and I'm not going to care about it. Mm. I think we, we should have taken that time. So mm-hmm. I, I understand what you feel. And it's, it's very true. It's there. Cassandra, you know, you, you, you supervise a lot of, uh, you know, consultants that go into the schools. How do you, how, how does this question speak to you and what's your response in, to what you're hearing? Yeah. I mean, just listening to you both, it just, everything resonates because uh, Basically, Instituto has had a model, um, we call it a mental health consultation model, where we're deployed to schools that contract with us um, for consultation services. And when they hear it's mental health, everybody jumps to, oh, you're the mental health therapist, you're going to come in and pull the kid out, you're going to fix the child. And so our model is actually quite the opposite. So I sometimes describe it as like pushing a boulder up the hill Mm, (laughs) to remind mm -hmm. folks like, no, we're actually really here to work within the environment and to work with the the environment of relationships and to really hold experience and create pauses in our day to be able to reflect on how do we understand what's like happening to you as a teacher or a principal or, Mm -hmm. or support staff in this moment? Can you just take a pause for a second to check in with yourself? And then ask yourself, wow, what might this child be trying to communicate to us? Like Mm -hmm. there's something here. And when we can take that pause and reflect, we tend to be less reactive and we can enter into a relationship where there's a much better chance of sustaining safety. Mm. So if you think about what's happening here, we're all struggling to figure out how do we restore a sense of safety? And schools have a lot of a lot of incidents happen. I mean, I know you all know, like where things start feeling very unsafe and they get very out of control. We as adults get very controlling and we get kind of, we want to like be reactive and shut things down quickly. And so the work that we've been doing is like how to bring in, it's a lot of it, it's it's the trauma-informed, trauma-transformed, I like that frame better, Mm -hmm. trauma-transformed practices into school settings. And then we've been even shifting because the trauma-transformed pieces where we recognize the impact of trauma and stress on systems and relationships, how do we actually move it further to say, how do we center healing? Mm. So how do we bring in a healing centered framework instead of a trauma centered framework? Because the healing, if you hold healing, you can actually then hold hope. That's right. Right. And so we're in schools trying to hold these very complex relationships, uh, understanding too, you know, I, I really appreciate what you brought up about Jesus about the system. Uh, both of you actually mentioned Anthony too, you know, the system can feel oppressive. And so we do need to understand how the system impacts on our teachers and have compassion for even that teacher that doesn't want to engage. Mm-hmm. Because if we pathologize the teacher, we're doing exactly what we're asking them not to do to children. So we have right. to hold and 
try to understand the experience and hold context. And so the consultants we work with are trained on these fronts, which and the training is a little bit different than a school social worker, because unfortunately they're still part of the system. Mm -hmm. So I feel very blessed that we're able to be outside of the system, but working and partly partnering deeply with Jamestown, I heard, you know, we work with the after schools and Michelle, you can lean in here too, because I, our program really covers early childhood settings, literally zero to 12 year olds, mm -hmm. um, middle school. And then Michelle's program, you guys do so much work with the high schools. And I think you lean in with educators as well. So I'm, I'm sure you have some interesting points to share on that, that front. And we're from the same agency, if you didn't catch that. Right. Michelle. Yes, you know, it's so interesting. So much is resonating and what everyone's already shared already. And, and, you know, the question, you know, there's some really big points that definitely hit the spot when it comes to how do we respond, right? Mm -hmm. And I think your, the, the original question was just like, how do we practice? And I think, well, I know the first thing, at least in our program at, at, with La Cultura Cura, which is our, our youth services um, program is really naming it but first with our staff our staff are on the front line so whether it's our case managers or our therapists is really naming that and and having that open door to actually have a discussion um i think and not to hesitate on it so and the reason why i have to name it first with our direct providers is because our direct providers have to be able to be present so they could go out and do the work so if we don't start first with the providers, then how are they going to be able to help other people? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think that's really important is to do it. And then the other part is in, in doing that, it's slowing it down because I think what happens a lot is we react. We think we're responding, but we're actually reacting to the shock to the situation. And what we want to do is slow it down so we could actually respond in a better way. And I think someone, I think Jesus, you talked about how, about how, it happens too fast, right? The response happens too fast. And just remembering that the community is in shock. And if you treat someone when they're in shock, they're not going to remember what was said or what was done. And it reminds me a lot in the conversations I've had with my daughter, who's just finishing high school, but her feelings around how does the school respond and react to a situation? And she is a Berkeley high school student. They just had a big scare. Luckily, they found that, uh, you know, they were able to apprehend the person and hopefully they'll get some help and services, which is great. Um, but her experience as a teen is that it feels unauthentic. You know, it feels like the teachers are doing it because they have to. It's part of that manual. It's part of that requirement versus like, how do the teachers also have to slow it down? Because the teachers to me are really the first responders. They're the ones that are really having that day-to-day -day conversations with the youth and the students. So, um, you know, how do you slow it down so it's really genuine and it's coming from a place where the teacher also has to be present. But in speaking to like Cassandra was sharing is that, you know, the consultation comes the other way. So the other part of our program is we do, our, we have our clinicians that work very closely in the high schools, but we work really closely with our wellness coordinators and the staff at the wellness centers at the different high schools. And our clinicians tend to respond to those workers. Yes, we respond and do the individual work. Our practice is to do individual work. Yes, we're doing it through the therapy, through the family therapy, through the individual therapy, through the groups we provide. 
in that space, but we also respond to our staff at the wellness centers and to, because they're holding a lot of those students. So we wanna make sure that we're also building capacity for them because when they slow down, because you know they're on, but when they're ready to slow down and turn down, they also need that space to process. So what we've been able to provide in other unfortunate situations is really being provide a space for those school providers to have some kind of healing circle. And that healing circle could be as simple as let's just get together and just, you know, have a, a you know, give a palabra, say something positive or, or, or put something into the smoke or into the fire that you could let go. Maybe it's a drumming circle. Maybe it's doing an activity with flowers and nature. It could be anything, but we provide that space for them. So, um, and Cassandra hit it on the nail you know, moving, transcending from trauma-informed care, right, transforming care, to really centered, engaged healing. How do we engage collectively in an activity, very similar to how we respond to our families and our youth? You know, we go back and we think about why is it so important to slow it down and actually create more and I think about my days um, doing street work and community violence work. And what we would do a lot is we would pull the youth off of the streets and divert them and go do something else. Well, we didn't know we were diverting. We were distracting them with something different and positive. But what we're really doing is we were providing them a collective activity so they could do something different. Same thing in responding to the violence and to the you know the response to how do we deal with something like this tragically is how do we do it collectively how do we open up the space so there are more dialogues with youth within youth parents with parents and i think those are all very important things and the point of listening i think is very important because in order to listen it's important to listen and not give too much feedback and the other part it's okay to be very authentic to say well, I don't know the answers, and that's being really honest, and that, that's important. And the last part would be really, sometimes we have to honor the silence in those conversations, and that's okay too, right? Because that silence just means we're, we're feeling some feelings at the same time, and we don't have the answers, but we can do this together at this current time. So honoring that silence and slowing it down are probably the biggest impact to make sure it doesn't happen really quick and that we're actually responding long-term to the need and not just in the short run. You you said honoring the silence and in Spanish there's something that, that, that my dad always said, you know, el tiempo te cura las heridas, you know, but, but you know, with time things heal. But within that time, there's so many things that, that you go through as a person, as a community, as a school, that those things you're talking about happen, you know, and, and I think that's true. You have to honor that that time, that silence to let people heal. Very true. Also wanted just to add something that one thing that I've really recognized clearly is that a number of our students are coming from families and groups where they have experienced multi-generational oppression and harm. And so, you know, because sometimes, you know, uh, I'll have some educators to be like, well, why don't they, why don't they trust me? Or why don't they, you know, um, care about school and, you know, this kind of thing. I said, you know, you have to know some of their history of where they're coming from to know that, you know, 
some of their parents and even grandparents felt so demeaned and devalued in the school system that of course they've passed on that distrust and 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 then the youth feel that you know and so i i say so really our responsibility is to look for ways to be able to uh, restore the trust right restore a sense of safety and belonging but the way that you do that is kind of what michelle was saying and a lot of you have been saying about like really learning to slow down and not try to push curriculum down their throats, but to slow down and say the most important thing here in this school community are the people, not the curriculum, not the state standards, not the testing, it's the human beings. They are so far above, in a sense, priority wise, um, that, that we need to keep our eyes on that and we need to um, really learn to, um, to listen to people and accept them where they are. Like even if, even if a, a young person is saying, yeah, you know, I'm having a bad day, I don't wanna be here, blah, blah, blah. You say, thank you. Thank you for being authentic with me. Thank you for keeping it real. And I want you to know, I wanna be here for you. I wanna be here with you. I wanna um, be able to support you today. And, 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 and that should be done in front of people. It's okay, because all the other young people should see that's what this school community stands for. You're, you can be your authentic self with all your pain, all your, and because that's the, that's the first step towards healing, right? Is knowing that you can come as your true self. And then as, as days go on, you begin to experience this feeling of, wow, I am truly accepted here. I'm wanted here. Um, and it can start to restore and heal some of that multi-generational harm that has been done. Anthony, thank you for saying that. Because I wanted to also say is a lot of those authentic relationships that we need to build in healing space should also be extended to the parents. You know, a lot of the times we say it comes from the home, it comes from the home. But what are we doing as educators and community support to find out what's really happening at the home? How could we bring those parents more to the forefront and get be part of the community, part of learning more what their children are doing at the school? How could we help them heal? Because you're right, a lot of them come with a lot of history. But how can we help them heal and say that we're here to help them, that we want to be team players, but also that we we reaching out, not only when their kids messed up or their kids do something, we're all, we are authentic. We want to reach out to say like, hey, you know, Anthony was authentic today by telling me he didn't want to be here, but he was here. He was physically here. He was trying. And I really appreciate that. And I think that we need to put that out more for parents so they could believe in our educational system and our organizations and feel that we're not just feeling a requirement for uh, a grant or a school funding. Because one thing I've learned working in the community and as a parent is that a lot of these people don't want to let their children be part of our us because one parent one told, told me one time, you just mu you must have wrote a grant that included my population. And once you finish your what you need to require your requirement, you're going to be gone. You're just going to be another shadow in my kid's memory. And I'm like, wow. That's true. We're not consistent. Really, we need to change how we do things. We need to be there really authentically. And so, you know, 
yes, we need to bring the children, we need to take care of those teachers, but we really need that soldier that's at home, either their parent, their caregiver, their grandparent, to be part of that team, to make that safe net for our children. And so our children know that we're all together here. We're not meeting that score, that quota. We're there for them. Especially now, we're here to help you heal. How can we help you with that? And thank you, Jennifer, for adding that because it's something that came up for me when we first started talking. And I always think about, you know, we talk about how do parents get involved in school? And I always think of the, you know, the parent teacher association and all those things. And I know as a parent, I've been, I've been involved, but I've also questioned and challenged when those organizers and that leadership at the schools don't give access to the other parents that are hardly not able to come. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. why would you do a PTA meeting at 12 o'clock noon or at five o'clock? Why can't you do it at seven or eight when more people can come? Why can't you do one in Spanish and one in English? So that to me is always really important because if we don't create the access points, then how do you expect people to be more involved? How do we, how do we get them to be more proactive and involved in shifting and giving that voice to them? So that to me is something really important. So I do appreciate that, Jennifer. I know there's people out there that want to be inclusive. And sometimes it's, it's how do you, the challenge of creating that can be in multiple ways to do it, but mm-hmm. you've got to have, right? Our schools have to really show that. And I know as a parent, I've challenged that in, in forums I've been about. And it's like, wow, why am I the only parent here? And maybe I'm not a monolingual speaking Spanish or immigrant parent, but I don't see those parents here. So what have you guys done to do outreach, right? Mm-hmm. What have you do to change mm-hmm. this meeting at a different time where you'll get a, a, you know, a larger engagement. So that's just super important as well. And at the same time, for those parents that are involved to remind them, like, this is how you get involved in your child's school, mm-hmm. whether Absolutely. they're little in their elementary school to the high school. Right. And- you know, and this brings up for me, you know, to, to bring, you know, some, and not closure to this conversation, but to talk about, you know, you, all of them, all of you are parents, right. And, and where you sit with, and as far as, you know, you know, having your education and having, you know, your experiences and how you find that balance, right. Because you have to try to find that balance. Um, I have sisters that are social workers and they're moms and they know the IEPs, they know the systems, they know all of it. And so I think that um, I think about the parents that haven't gotten the information about these tragedies and how to best deal with that at home, right? And and how what are the answers uh, that you can give to your children? Um, and how do you deal with you know young people that are scared at home? And I think that as I'm saying this, I I, I reflect on um, when rap we were. We, we were doing a lot of outreach and responding to a lot of community violence. And, and we weren't making a dent with some of these youngsters. And we came up with the idea of Parents for Peace. And we put parents in the van with us and we took them out there. And the response that parents had and the impact on their youngsters was way completely different than how they would respond to us. But we, you know, there was that partnership and I think that that's extremely, extremely important, Jen, what you said, that that soldier at home, that warrior at home, the trabajadora, the, the, the dad that's working two jobs, all that we have to take into consideration because 
you know, there's the raíz, right? It's at home. Extremely important. And I'm glad you guys brought that up and, and are talking about it. Um, is there any other comments uh, around how, how, do, how, what are the practices? Because I want to jump into the third question. So we, we're kind of flowing here, right? So let's, um, you know, the, the third question addresses the issue of how, you know, those assigned, for lack of a better term, to, to assist and alleviate sorrow. The case managers, the social workers, the, the, the co-workers, the teachers, all the people that are out there working, how can they be best supported to, while still fulfilling their responsibilities? I know, Michelle, you addressed some of it. Um, you talked about a circulo and, and some of those um, you know, experiences and activities that can happen, but I'd like to expand on it a little bit more. How do we best support the uh, folks that are on the front line I'll um, jump in there. Just, I, I feel like, you know, you, you kind of touched on it. I think Michelle touched on it. It's like really um, making sure that we prioritize um, the staff and that we, um, when you said Socorro, you said, you know, when we brought them into the van, it's like it changed, it changed the relationship. And I, when I, when you said that, it reminded me, it's like, yeah, Socorro and, and, and Calles, you know, they, they brought this, the parents into the circle. Mm-hmm. And, and there's something extremely powerful about that. I know that because uh, I've gone to schools and like, you know, they say, oh, Anthony, can you come and do this thing? And so I come and like five parents show up in a huge school. And I'm like, and, and they're apologizing to, oh, Anthony, I'm so sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I just, I have to tell them, I say, what you see here tonight is a reflection of your relationship with your parents. You know, it just is. I, you know, I'm not trying to demean them or anything like that. I'm just saying it's okay. Start there and then begin to build on it. But make sure that when you bring parents together, that you bring them into the circle. Don't mm-hmm. bring them into like a workshop where you just talk at them, you know, make them feel bad, mm-hmm. you know, bring them into the circle the way like Socorro was saying, bring them into the van because they are part of the solution and treat them in in the way that honors them and values them so that they, because honestly, a lot of the parents need restoration. They need to restore the sense of importance in the school system, that they're important, that they're valuable and their voice is extremely important to us. So the way to do that is to bring them into the circle. And I, I went, so what I, had started doing when I would go out to the schools, I would just have this parents sit in a circle with me and they would be like, well, we've never done this. And it's okay. Don't worry. Let me, let me show you what we're asking your kids to do in the classrooms. We do check-ins, right? So, so can you, would you just check in with us and parents, you know, like, we'll just do it a simple, like, Oh, one through 10 on a number line, right? How are you feeling today? Just tell us what number and pretty soon, you know, some of them are, are even getting emotional. And, mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. And, and what we're saying is what we're doing here is we're trying to um, we're trying to tell your students and try to tell you how important you are and who you are is important. And, and your feelings are part of you. And mm-hmm. that's where it starts. And it's it's I, when you bring them into the circle, I can tell that the power of that is transformative. Mm, thank you for that. 
a, a question I have to Anthony, are staff at these circles with, with your folks? Um, yeah. Are they sitting in the circle with them? Yes. I always, okay, you know, like sometimes like, you know, some of the, um, I'll go into a classroom and, and, and even teachers will be like, okay, you go do it. You know, I said, no, no, <laughs> you need to come in. <laughs> right. Right. Because, right. you know, I, I really, honestly, I push back very strongly against this old model of, oh, you know, I'm the social worker, so I have to fix your, you know, mm -hmm. this problem. No, no, I, if I'm the social worker, I'm the, 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 the restorative practitioner, what I need to do is pull you in so you can learn how to build relationships. You can learn to do what Michelle was saying, to listen, to slow down, to honor you, if, because if you don't learn it as the teacher, then it's going to continue to have the problems. You're going to you're going to start becoming frustrated, right. and, and you're going to send kids out into a into an office where you expect them to fix them. My mm -hmm. thing is keep bringing those teachers back into the circle. Keep right. bringing the staff as well, because even though many of our colleagues are doing very hard work they also are going to restore in the circle right? because the circle is the restorative power and, right. and that's the community. And that's, that's really the place they, they, they mm -hmm. need to come to. Absolutely. Cassandra, you tell us a little bit about how IFR supports staff, especially during this time right now. Or... Yeah. Thank you for the question. I, I love hearing Anthony, you talk because I think there's so <laughs> many parallels to everything that you're describing what we want for our families, right? For them to be seen, for them to be witnessed, for there to be trust, for there to be spaces created where they can come together and be their authentic self and feel heard. And so I think at Instituto, something that we've centered is, is, is those values. You know, tú eres mi otro yo. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're, we are a reflection of each other here, ¿verdad? And this concept of like, si se puede, and even olin, olin meaning movement, we've got to create opportunities where we live our values. And so what we've been doing, working very hard is, at least in, in our team is um, dedicating time and space weekly, team space for all the clinicians who are out working in school settings. They come together. And as a program director, I just, I've had to say, I'm giving up all those agenda items, you know, as uh, I'm looking at you, Jesus, you know, in those meetings, the CST meetings, it's like the checklist, you got to get through everything. I mean, I can feel those pressures, but I just put them aside and I start, we start with really just holding experience and, and people being able to lean in and do check-ins and we've integrated rituals. Um, when we're in person, we always start with smoke and we pass smoke around the circle so that we can kind of center ourselves and be present because we've been having to do some of that Zoom, we do a ritual around a, a, a meditation um, together before we start any of our team meetings. And then we really try to honor, I mean, we believe deeply that in this, pro this concept of parallel process. So if a consultant is so stressed and can't even really stay centered when they go into a setting, that they're gonna bring that there with them. And that teacher they're sitting with is going to feel that as well. So we tried to do a lot of work where we, we are able to ground ourselves. And it's really through, you know, needing to metabolize and process what their experiences are, because schools, schools are very hard. I, I, they're hard systems to work in, and there's a lot going on. So creating spaces for folks to reflect on their experience. We also do something that I think is um, really important. Well, there's a lot of times, particularly with mental health clinicians, if anyone's listening who's a mental health professional, there's a lot of um, 
case presentations that you do to get feedback. Mm -hmm. And we actually have shifted it where we create a reflective case presentation model where we really ask a, a question that we're curious about that we're struggling with. And then we allow a process where that clinician can give us enough history to answer it. And then the staff actually, that clinician gets to sit back and staff just really try to hold what the question is and lean mm. into it. And it's a beautiful thing. There's almost like, I feel energetically, we're putting into the universe mm. all this positive energy and we stay strength-based, we stay culturally you know, responsive. We try to name what the issues are, hold benevolence, hold benevolence for all all the folks who are in this, whoever's being presented on, and something shifts magically <laughs> with the mm-hmm. family we presented on, the teacher we presented on, the clinician, particularly themselves, feel held in a different way where they can go back and keep at the work. So I think in some, you know, um, Socorro, it's like, how do we hold on to rituals? Right. How do we make sure there's dedicated space and time? For mm-hmm. And I really think you have to hold the reflective practice. And then creating even, we call them charlas, like not yeah. trainings, uh, trainings, Platica, right. Platica, charlas, right? so there is the, the circolo, you know, the medicine, there are many medicines, we have this dicho, verdad, Michelle, many medicines in Instituto, and we have to honor also in our multiculturalism that people's right. medicines may be different. Right. So honor what your medicine is, bring it mm-hmm. in, share it with us, connect with us, you know, let us learn from one another. So I think we're, we really try to focus on um, the staff care, taking time when they need it, not getting hung up on productivity, you know, like there's many ways we as a system can be oppressive and we have right. to fight and battle against that. That's right. <laughs> you know, and really just believe, I mean, I watch my staff and I just say, they're all doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if it doesn't look like what someone else might standard be, I'm like, this is the best they can do. And if I can hold that for them, I know that they'll go back and they'll hold that teacher, that family, that child in the best possible way that they can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you think about the the times when I was out there doing that work, you know, we just work through it, right? You work through it because that's what's expected. Self-care collective care, all that is so critical to be able to have that space to reflect and really be that true authentic person that, you know, you, you're, you are, right? The nuance of who you are, the cariño, the energy that you bring, all that. You're no good to anybody if you're not healthy and you're not, um, you know, not even to your family. I mean, that's, that's, that's such an important, important, important uh, lesson to learn. Michelle, I was going to ask if you had anything to share and, and then Jesus um, about how people, how you take care of folks at Instituto or, or maybe within your team of La Cultura Cura. No, I think, you know, um, definitely Cassandra shared a lot of just some of the practices we have mm-hmm. at Instituto, you know. Um, you know, we do start, you know, our staff meetings with ritual all the time. You know, we mm-hmm. honor, you know, some higher power or we honor ourselves but we do take the moment and a lot of the practices we also do in our staff meetings is we we do a check-in whether it's doing some mindfulness um whether it's you know everyone being able to pass around the smoke and do a check-in and yes we've been doing this during the pandemic virtually as well um which has been challenging but at the same time um making also time to gather and reconnect is really important. So not just through Zoom, but like trying to come out like, you know, every so often, like we're going to do an activity at the park or 
Some of us are going to have a lunch or do something as much as we can while being safe. Um, so that's something that really does need to happen. And some of the times it's just doesn't have to be heavy. It could just be we're going to go out and just have fun. We're going to yeah, share right. a meal. We're going to go, you know, uh, play some games. Yeah. Um, and that's for the staff. And I think that's important. And like Cassandra said, I think it's part of some of the practices Instituto has. And I think, you know, I've been around Instituto for such a long time. And I think that reflective supervision and group is probably the most unbelievable thing. I know when I went over to San Mateo County, I brought that model over there. Mm -hmm. And it's just a way where the clinician could actually get some really positive feedback without feeling without feeling like they're on the spot and they have to present this dissertation in front of people, but they're actually being able to reflect. And, and it's not so much, it's them giving feedback on everybody else's reflection mm -hmm. of what is going on with that particular client, that family. Um, so that's been something that's super helpful. And I think the last thing would be, you know, how, you know, just how do we take care of those that are taking care of others? Just you know, just reinforcing, like, how do we care for those teachers, for the school staff is absolutely important as far as our, because to me, like I said, there are front front door workers, they're the ones actually responding day to day, right. they right. know, and they have relationships with their students that we will not have because they're with them every day in the classroom. So I think that's very important to definitely highlight in our yes. conversation today. So I do appreciate what we shared. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, yes, get, I'm, get the you know, I'm, I'm thinking about everything that said, but I'm also thinking about the schedule because we're going through doing a master schedule for next year <laughs> and you're trying to find out, okay, where do I have time for this? Where do I have time for that? Right. Um, before the pandemic, we had um, a scheduled time where we had the kids for 20 minutes at the beginning of the day. We even had breakfast in the classroom. So we scheduled everything in, you know, the kids responded better with that. You know, we were they had eaten, you know, they were, okay, let's get busy with the schoolwork. Um, but we schedule that time in. And I think that's one of the critical things that we schedule a time in, whether it's in the morning or you schedule it in the afternoon where you're able to um, connect with them. There's no curriculum. There's nothing, you know, you give them 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, like tell the teachers, go ahead and do what you have to do with them. So there's that time where you can talk to them. They can tell you, be that, that, um, you know, it's not no standard, nothing. Hey, what's going on with you? What's happening? You know, what do you think about this issue? And that's that's a perfect time to talk to them. And the other thing is like um, Anthony was mentioning, you know, you practice what you're going to do with the kids as teachers. Go through, let's practice it, let's model it here. So that way you can see what you're going to do in the classroom. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about it. And and it's a long process, a year-long process, but it's a growing process that you're going to keep, you're going to internalize, and you are going to go with it. And that's that's another tool that you add to your to your little bag of uh, you know being in the classroom or being out in the community. That's going to help you out. Yeah. Thank you for that, and thank you all for sharing. Um, you guys have been tremendous, and um, and at the at the beginning of this, we we started talking about the tragedies that brought us together, unfortunately. And, um, but also sharing the space with all of you. It's been very healing and coming together and being able to, to hear your perspectives. And, and also I wanna take the time to thank you for your commitment, for your work, for your corazones, 
for everything that you do, you know, it, uh, uh, every day and, uh, and also being who you are. I don't know if anyone would like to share something in the end as a final thought or all of you at, at this point. I just, I wanted to say thank you to my colleagues, to mm. you, Socorro, and Darren as well for this space. It is restorative. This is like mm -hmm. a virtual That's circle right. here. And I, I think one thing I keep coming back to is, you know, we, all of us in the community are, um, it, this is, that's where the answer is. It's um, if we would just learn the, a basic kind of almost philosophy in dealing with each other, even in our families, it's like, let's embrace people where they are, mm -hmm. not where we want them to be, embrace them where they are, and then let's provide them the support that they need to be successful. And let's have a growth mindset. Let's not say, let's not have some arbitrary kind of like, you know, standard up here and say, oh, if they don't get that, they're going get, to get a bad grade with me. No, I mean, I'm saying like really, you know, support them so that they can be successful. And I know that that's hard to do. It's not easy work, right? Even with our loved ones, you know, accepting them where they are. But I, I, I know that, in my life, that's what I'm called to do. And it's a daily practice. It's a daily, sometimes I fail at it, but I try to get back onto it, right? Just what can I do in every conversation to project that out, right? I accept you where you are and let me see what I can do to, to embrace you and to, to help you improve in whatever way you want to. Thank you for that. Here are my final thoughts. In my 35 years of experience working directly in San Francisco's communities of color through the Real Alternatives Program and being a first responder to hundreds of incidents of community youth violence, I found myself becoming jaded and began moving through these incidents in autopilot, not honoring my feelings, repressing the depths of my own sorrow and pain. Was it the best solution not to deal with my feelings? Absolutely not. As a result, I lived with vicarious trauma for years, experiencing the triggers along with the tears and the sadness. However, through my spiritual walk, my journey, and the sacred indigenous medicines of my ancestors, I learned to prioritize and nurture my well-being. I now understand how life begins to open itself up to us through the different messages and life experiences. Unfortunately, the recent tragedies provide us the opportunity to evaluate where we are as a people in our humanity. We need to treat each other with dignity and respect in order to build each other up. We cannot just look away and ignore these mass shootings and killings. Many say this is a mental health issue or a gun control issue, but ultimately no one wants to take responsibility. This is an issue of the lack of humanity as an American society as a whole. We have failed our children, our youth, our families, while those in power continue to build the barriers of access to the poor. Those barriers must be torn down. How do we hold the survivors up while holding ourselves up? As community builders, workers, teachers, practitioners of care, we can do as much as we are capable of, only if we are healthy in mind, body, and spirit. Please remember to take the time to talk about what is going on in your life with others. 
strive for a balance because it empowers and allows for a healthier perspective about yourself and the world around you. Take a break. And last but not least, honor your feelings. If we reach out to just one person, we can contribute to their transformation and help them believe that there is hope for themselves and we can begin to affirm our beliefs in humanity. Buddha said, one moment can change a day, one day can change a life, and one life can change the world. Over time, the caring, supportive family, colleagues, and friends can help lessen the emotional impact from the violent tragedies. Today we heard from the five individuals whose collective wisdom totals about 150 years. They have dedicated their lives to working with children, youth, and families in communities throughout California. Through their wisdom and insight, we heard the collective voices of hope, compassion, and healing. We prescribe to the Iroquois philosophy about carrying their fire and legacy to continue to forge a pathway that reconnects the decisions we make today that should result in a sustainable world seven generations into the future. Please share this podcast with someone who may benefit from this or may gain insight to healing for themselves or others. As always, the Five Sisters Audio Garden would like to acknowledge the following. Carecen San Francisco, Instituto Familiar de la Raza, Change Elemental, and the many individual supporters who have graciously donated to, these, to our production. It's because of your kindness and all the gifts that you have given us, your insight, your wisdom, that we're able to produce the Rama Blueprints podcast. This episode was produced and edited by Darren J. De Leon and Socorro Gamboa. If you like our show, subscribe and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with two people. And please spread the word. And remember, to listen is to heal. All power to the people. Oh.